Lord, I just pray over the word tonight. I pray, God, that you minister to each one. I pray, Lord, that the, the Holy Ghost would have freedom here tonight and the Holy Ghost would be able So, some of you were here last week, and uh, I'm basing this teaching on primarily on Dr. Roy Hicks, The Power of Positive Resistance. And some of you came back, praise the Lord. And we have a few people that might not have been here last week. I will not go over everything I taught last week because I would just run out of time, right? But let me pick up a couple things that, um, that I felt like I didn't quite get covered. And I'm covering pretty much uh, about five chapters last week in this book. Uh, so one thing was, uh, some of these are statements by, by Dr. Hicks. All suffering is caused by Satan. Do, do you all understand that? You know, the church needed to understand who the troublemaker is here. Who is the one that's causing the problems, okay? So human suffering, abuse, murder, misery, strife, warfare, crime, and human suffering. If you go back to the root, it's all caused by Satan. We tend to want to place blame. We tend to want to look at somebody in past judgment. But we have to be very careful about that. When we're resisting the enemy, we're resisting Satan, resisting him, okay? So uh, disease, loneliness, rejection, guilt, await the one that pursues sensual pleasure. We sow to the flesh. We will reap corruption. It will happen like that every time. There's no way to sow to the flesh and, and reap something else. You know, if, you, if it's, we're talking about the area of sensual pleasures or, or uh, uh, vain, vain things that are not clean, you don't want to sow because if you sow, you'll reap. Okay? The pleasure of that is for a season, it says in the Bible. Satan promises the sun but delivers darkness. He promises success but delivers failure. He promises fame and fortune, but delivers bondage. How many Hollywood-type people do you know that had it all? I mean, they had everything, and they wound up, oh, we read about, oh, they committed suicide or something went wrong, and they, and they, and they died. And, and, and everybody's just aghast. What? Why would they do this? Why would they do this? You know? So we are so blessed tonight to be in this place. We're so blessed tonight to be uh, in a church that has the truth and, and holds up the word of God as, as, you know, as important. And I'm so blessed to know Pastor Albert and have him teach me for years and years and years and, and, and pour into me and help me to know these things. But keep in mind, there's a whole world out there that does not have that. And... In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it says, Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. It's talking about just people who, uh, who the enemy has been able to blind. Now, the God of this age, that's not referring to our God. That's lowercase g. That's referring to Satan. So, the God of this age has blinded a lot of people. And when you hear the news at night, you know, you think, Boy, we sure have a lot of leaders that are very confused, and many of them going the absolute wrong way, right? So we see this in, in the world, and you know that there's some blinding going on. There's some deception going on. And so, but not so in the body of Christ. In this room, in this place, in this church, 
we will have revelation, we will have understanding, we will not be caught in the devil's traps, we will have truth and understanding in our lives, and uh, thank God for that. All right, so let's see, anything else here? Okay, all right, so let's talk about, uh, I want to talk about a, a, a section that Dr. Hicks talked about where he talked about the human brain or the organ, the brain, and he kind of uh, tried to define uh, some things about our thoughts and the brain and that part of the body. So what he says is, there's a difference between the human brain and the mind. The human brain is part of the body and is earthly, earthy and carnal. It will ultimately return to the ground from where it came. So in other words, when we die, of course, our brains are part of the body, right? But amazing that when we're absent from the body, we're just like that, present with the Lord. And we'll be able to see and hear and think, we'll know about the past, we'll remember the past, we'll be able to look at the future and think about the future, and, uh, and we'll be able to function fairly normally in a spirit-like world, in a spirit realm. But now, that's not just going to happen just like, oh, you know, I'm here, and I step over, and I'm there. God has to do something, right? So... Let me talk about the body. In 1 Corinthians 15, 42, it says, The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. That is talking about the resurrection of the dead. That's talking about the rapture of the church. So one day there will be, uh, those who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the sky or in the clouds. And uh, the dead in Christ will be raised first. So this body has the remnants of Adam in, in, in our bodies. In other words, we still have a little bit of DNA from way, 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 way back. <laughs> and so when Adam and Eve sinned and they fell from grace, a lot of start, things started going wrong. And one thing that went wrong was something was introduced called sickness and disease. Okay, that's one thing. Another thing was strife and people fighting each other and, and trying to use fear and torment to, to control people. And uh, so we talked a little bit about that last week. But uh, so this body is capable of carrying out what God called us to do. This body is wonderful. We talked about last week how we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We are living, walking miracles, let me tell you. We, we, you know, but just keep in mind that there are two worlds. There is flesh to flesh and spirit to spirit. That which is flesh is flesh and that which is spirit is spirit. We talked about that from John chapter 3 last week. Okay? So when it comes to the body, the brain, the human brain, controls everything. And I was 
I had a couple of surgeries earlier this year. Uh, I had some cataract surgery. And so I had that wonderful experience of going in and, and signing papers and saying, yeah, you can do this to me, yeah, you can do that to me. And, you know, I mean, you gotta trust somebody, right? <laughs> and so, uh, uh, you remember, I don't know, some of you may have had a surgery in the past, and you remember the anesthesiologist comes in to talk to you, right? And he comes in and he starts saying things like, uh, well, we're, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give you a little something that's gonna make you a little sleepy. And then we're gonna take you in and we're gonna numb you up and get you all ready for the surgery. But don't worry about it, you won't, you won't feel a thing. And then we're gonna bring you back a little bit and you'll kind of be aware of what's going on and, and you'll just keep kind of calm and, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, all of, all of this is gonna happen while the surgeon goes in and cuts a slit up here and does this and pulls this out and, you know, all the things that they're gonna do for cataract surgery. Okay, so uh, the one thing I wanted to mention about this, and I don't want to personalize too much, but what I noticed is one of the first things they want to do when you, and Sharon, you know about this, they want to get that IV in your arm. Boy, they are, they are ready to get that, they want to get that in your arm as fast as they can get it. You know, you may not be going in for another hour, hour and a half, but they want that IV ready to go because when that anesthesiologist, when he comes in there and says, okay, and he pushes a little plunger or something, I mean, you go, I just go out. I'm just, you know. And um, when I come to, I do not remember one thing that happened. Not one thing. I don't remember them sticking needles around here to numb all this. I don't remember anything, and I, but I know they did, you know. And, and so, uh, isn't this amazing that it's not like I was dead, but it's just like I have a space and time that I wasn't really there, you know? Because my brain is made to function with the outside world. So as far as the outside world is concerned, when my brain is not there, I'm not there, you know? Now, I'm not saying we're not spirit beings. We are, we're spirit beings, we have a soul, and we live in the body. But this, it's everything we have here is made to operate on planet Earth. And so the brain is a wonderful thing. It controls all the aspects of the body. It determines what we do. You know, it determines if I lift my hands or don't lift my hands. My brain is, is totally, you know, in charge, in command of that. It's a very good parallel with Jesus, who's the head of the church, and we are the body. You see that in the scripture. I have a niece that has, um, has had a battle with MS for many, many years. And down through the years, because that affects the nervous system, you'll see where she's gotten less and less control of her body as time goes on. It's really sad to see. But you, you just, you have to understand that the, the brain is so important. So I don't wanna say, oh, our brains are, it's just part of the body, it's just carnal, it's no good. And No, that's not true. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Our brain is part of God's creation, part of his plan. It's just that we have to understand there's certain things that take place in the mind, in, in the soul part, and then those thoughts can go to the brain and the brain can decide, you know, we can decide we have a mind and a will. We can decide whether to speak those thoughts 
or whether to act on those thoughts or not. So we're really in control. We're in control as long as I'm not under anesthetic, right? I'm in control. When they bring me back, I'm in control. And then, so, uh, so, what Dr. Dr. Hicks says, he says, since the day Adam and Eve knew they were naked, mankind has needed a renewed spiritual mind in order to look at the world the way God sees it. So the old mind and the old nature can become an enemy to God. And so we're taught, uh, let me give you a couple other scriptures. In Ephesians, let's see. Okay, let me say, first uh, Romans 12, uh, 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then in Romans 8, 7, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So we choose whether we set our minds on the things of the flesh or the things of the Spirit. And some people, they only live in that one dimension, just the flesh, just the natural common dimension in life. But we are spiritual beings and we read the Word of God and we know that God has uh, plans for us and gifts and callings and enabling enabling us to go out and change the world. And so the, the things of the Spirit can actually supersede the natural. They can go beyond the natural. I mean, they can change the natural uh, to, to make way for the things God wants to do. Okay? All right, so now I wanted to go to Ephesians 4.17. It says that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. And then verse 22, it says that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, so there are things we should set, we should set our minds on spiritual things, okay? We should put off the old man and the old thoughts, old carnal passions and desires, put those off and put on the new mind, okay? Created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So we have things we put off and things we put on and we're in control of that, okay? So this is all part of the thought life and it's part of the, the understanding about how our minds work. Now, Dr. Hicks says this. He says that the brain can bring back vulgar thoughts and past experiences, resist and turn them aside by contradicting them with spiritual words. So you can, you can have a thought come to your mind, but you can speak a spiritual word or you can speak a word of truth and you can put that thought out. You can basically take that thought captive and stop it, okay? 
recognize that the brain will take the initiative to control thoughts and will not allow the mind of Christ to be preeminent. So the brain, if, if you don't, there are cases where you need the mind of Christ to rise up, okay, in certain situations. If that does not happen, your natural mind will just do what it ordinarily does. It will pursue the train of thought that it ordinarily would pursue. Okay. The first thoughts you think are many times from the brain. When you meet someone for the first time, you may think, I don't think I like them. Instantly resist that thought as being non-Christian. Have you ever had that happen? I mean, meet somebody the first time and you think, ah, oh, sure, I like them. You know, and you kind of, you kind of get, I don't know, you kind of, this is, this is just you. I mean, this is your preference. This is the way you are. This is, you would prefer them to be this way, but they're not this way. They're that way, you know. And, but we have to say, well, no, wait, what does God say about our neighbors? What does God say about the people around us? We're to be, we're Christians, right? We're to love our neighbors. We're to love people. So we have to take control of those thoughts. Evil thoughts surface, desiring to be spoken. Do not let your tongue speak them, even if you have to put your hand over your mouth. I talked about that a little bit last week. Sounds a little kooky. But in Proverbs 30, 32, it says, or if you have devised evil, put your hand on your mouth. In other words, if you have a thought and it's not a good one, just don't speak it. Even if you have to put your hand over your mouth, stop it from being spoken. Okay? Left unspoken, thoughts of doubt and unbelief will not pass into the heart where faith dwells. I'd like to say that one more time. It's pretty, pretty powerful. If left unspoken, thoughts of doubt and unbelief will not pass into the heart where faith dwells. Praise the Lord. Okay. So that's a little something about the mind and our thoughts. Okay, now we have uh, close to 30 minutes here, but I'm going to attempt to hit the high points of the chapters in this book. So uh, pray for me that I'll be able to do that and not, I'm not going to push you over time or anything. But uh, I want to talk about, uh, first I want to talk about chapter 7. And uh, I'm going to let you guess what the topic or the chapter is about. So here we go. Our bodies are not born again. They will not be redeemed until the rapture or the resurrection. We must resist Satan by using self-discipline over the appetites of the body. Okay? Now let me say this. This is something, a uh, quote from Dr. Uh, Hicks. Uncontrolled appetite in the Bible is called lust. The body has its own appetite. Okay? We need to bring nutritious foods into our body. We need to control our appetites. You know, there's, there's such a thing as overeating, and then there's such a thing as undereating. And there's, uh, you know, this is just my way of looking at it. You know, undereating can include 
just not eating nutritious foods. You know, so we need to we need to control our appetites and we need to eat a, eat a full balanced diet of food so that our bodies function the way they're supposed to. We need to resist the enemy in this area. Resist the enemy in this area. Uh, in Daniel one, if you remember, Daniel said in uh, Daniel one verse twelve, he said, "Please test your servants for ten days." and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. So I'm not here saying, well, we should all be vegetarians, but I'm telling you, Daniel had something going with those vegetables, didn't he? I mean, he had a good idea there. So anyway, that's one subject, so let me go on here. Uh, another subject that Dr. Hicks talks about is the subject of pride. He says, pride goes before destruction. This is in Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride caused the fall of King Nebuchadnezzar in ancient Babylon. And that's in Daniel chapter 4. Okay, the effects of pride. Pride causes a person to be unteachable because the person with pride believes that they know, know all they need to know. So that's kind of a know-it-all kind of attitude. Okay, the sin of presumption is uh, talked about in Psalm 19.13. And Psalm 19.13 says, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. So I looked up that word, uh, presumptuous, and one of, the, one of the definitions of it is uh, arrogant. Arrogant sin. It's kind of like an arrogant attitude. Okay. Okay, now in James 4.13, uh, James talks about this a person that says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. So, so what really? This is a person that was planning on going somewhere and buying or selling something and making a profit. So is that wrong? No, that's not the main point of this. Two things God did not agree with the attitude of this person. One thing was they were boasting about their plans. You know, they're basically saying, we're going to do this. Okay? And then, the second thing is, they were basically leaving the leading of God and the Holy Spirit out. You know, they were not allowing God to come into their plans and seeking Him and, and allowing Him to lead and guide them. Okay? So, how do we resist the enemy in this kind of attitude? Maybe a kind of an arrogant attitude or a prideful attitude that can creep in. Uh, we can resist the enemy by allowing God to lead us as we plan for the future. Bring God into your plans. Pray over the plans of your life and the things you're getting ready to do. Okay, another thing. Don't judge other people, but take heed to yourself 
and praise the Lord and be thankful, it will break your pride. So one of the, one of the solutions to a problem with pride is to be a thankful person. I remember we had this old song we used to sing. Now, uh, some of the old songs I like because they would teach they would teach things, and one of them is count your blessings, name them one by one, count your blessings, see what God has done, count your blessings, name them one by one. Okay, so we need to set down. This is an instruction. It's like an instruction. Count your blessings and learn to pick those blessings out and thank God for them and be thankful. Have a thankful heart. Okay. So uh, another subject is, subject chapter 9, he talks about gossip. Uh, Proverbs eleven thirteen. A talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is faithful, a spake, he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. Okay? And in Proverbs 16, 28, a perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. So the statement from Dr. Hicks is, resisting the desire to gossip and spread rumors, whisper, bear tales, is one of the toughest assignments for a Christian. And, and I notice that social media has a lot, a lot of impact on this also because social media is real easy to just go, you know, just fling something out there. Just put something out there about somebody, you know. Or you heard this, or you thought this, or somebody said this. And uh, we need to be uh, really careful, like, like Dr. Hicks said, this is an easy way, an easy, a tough assignment for us. It's a difficult assignment. To, when you hear something and you know something about somebody, there's a tendency you want to tell somebody about it. You want to share it with somebody. I don't know why it is. It's just we, we want to share things. And we have to t take a look at something and ask ourselves this question. Is that gossip? So one of the guidelines for gossip is this. When you hear gossip, name it as such. In other words, you hear something and you characterize it, you say either that's gossip or hearsay or, or it's not. You know, it may be totally innocent. But if you label it gossip, then what that means is you don't pass it on. You don't talk about it, okay? And number two, check the facts before sharing information about some. Make sure you have the facts right. Number three, never defame anybody or run somebody down. Okay, number four, don't let the enemy use your tongue to spread hearsay about someone's weakness. Let me say that again. Don't let the enemy use your tongue to spread hearsay about someone's weakness. And number five, privately pray for the person. Okay? So that's some guidelines on the subject of gossip. It's good, isn't it? It's a way to, way to keep your life straight, stay in, the, stay in the road, the path God has for you. Okay. We get a lot of teaching in this church on the subject of sickness, so I'm kind of going to, you know, I may come back to it here in a minute, but I'm, for right now I'm going to skip that. It was chapter 10. Now, chapter 11 in the book here is called Weak Times. It's times in your life when you're not at full strength, and you know you're not at full strength. It's just times in life when you're kind of down, okay? So let's talk, I want to talk about that a little bit. 
guidelines for weak times in your life. In other words, a time where you are under great grief, depression, or stress. If you're under a lot of grief, depression, or stress, there's certain things you should do and certain things you should not do. Okay? So just a couple of ideas here. One thing is do not divulge private things just because you're going through a weak time. In other words, you're going through a weak time and, and there's this tendency, okay, you're going to tell everybody everything about everything. So be very, be, if you're going through a weak time, be careful of divulging every detail of everything about your life or maybe the life of somebody else. This may not be a good time for that. Okay. Number two, do not make major decisions during a period of a weak time in your life. You know, somebody is trying to, you know, salesperson is trying to tell you, you've got to do this. You just have to do this. You need to do this. You've got to do it right now because if you don't do it right now, then the deal's over. And you, you know, you know what to say? Just say, no, thank you. You know, no, thank you. You know, and especially when you're, you know, you may want to do that anytime, actually. But, uh, you know, we have the Holy Spirit. We can get wisdom from the Holy Spirit. We have counsel. We have, I'm, I'm amazed at the number of people around me. If I need something, I can probably call a friend or two and say, do you know anybody that's good at this or good at that or could give me counsel on this or give counsel on that? You can get some counseling on certain things. And a lot of it's free, so it doesn't cost you anything. But anyway, be careful of spending money and signing contracts and doing things when you're going through a battle. Okay? Don't let the enemy pressure you. Don't let him pressure you. Uh, because believe me, the enemy, he doesn't care if you're going through weak times. As a matter of fact, he sees you going through a weak time and say, oh boy, this is what I've been waiting for. And that's when he will try to hit you with his best strategies right there. Okay, number four, if your joy level is low, you are going through a weak time. If your joy level is low, you're going through a weak time. How do you know if you're going through a weak time? It's when you don't have any joy. Pat came in tonight, she was smiling and laughing, and, and I thought, she's got it. She's got joy. That's what we all need. So joy is really, what does it say in the Bible? Something about joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. That's true. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Okay, let the weak say, I am strong. Why would you say that if you're weak? Why don't, you, why don't the weak just say, I'm weak? Because you don't want to stay weak. <laughs> and it's not the truth anyway, because we have the power of God in us. Praise the Lord. Okay. Now, let me talk about uh, chapter 12, resisting in faith. Okay, resisting in faith. A confession of faith. Uh, do not let vain imaginations run uncontrolled. Let your spiritual imagination work by resisting unbelief. So, Dr. Hicks brings up a subject that I think is pretty interesting. Uh, he says, think about the future and what God is going to do through you. What about it? Think about the future and what God is going to do through you. 
Prepare yourself before you use your faith. In other words, hold off using your faith and get ready to do it. Get ready. Get a, get a, use that imagination instead of for some vain thing. Use that imagination and just let it run out there for a while and see, you know, you don't want to confess something that's wildly beyond what God wants you to do, you know. But you'd be surprised at how far God will take you if you'll run with him, you know. So, and I was just thinking, uh, Deb said something about 570-something churches. Is that, is that the number? I mean, do you guys realize how awesome this is? I mean, this is amazing. This is an idea. This is like an idea that, that came to pastor years ago. And he pursued it. He must have let his imagination kind of go to do this. To say, you know, and, he, and he'll take it a step at a time. Don't do anything foolish. Just take it a step at a time. And God would open this door and open that door and open that door. You know, so, but what about you? What, what has God got for you in the future? He's got something for you to do. And so you let your imagination do what your imagination was made to do, you know. Now, verse 46.10 in Psalm, Psalm 46.10. This is so interesting what Dr. Hicks says about this one. Okay, this is, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. You know what Dr. Hicks says about that? He says that's one of the most quoted and the least obeyed scriptures <laughs> in the whole Bible. He says, this is his way of saying this. You have to wait and be still in order to know. Most quoted, but little acted on verse, Psalm 46.10. All right, so just, just know that. When you're talking about letting your imagination run, something that, that God wants to put on your heart, something you can do in the future, something to set your faith on, be ready to be still and know. Be still. Wait on God. Okay. Okay. Prepare, envision, and imagine the future. Imagine yourself possessing, possessing the desired thing before you confess that you have it. In other words, picture yourself having it before you say the first word. Once you picture yourself, you're, when you picture yourself and it's clear and you can see yourself having it in your mind. We're talking about using your, your mind, your brain, and your words to accomplish the things God wants you to accomplish. There are many cases in the Bible where God did nothing until a man would speak. If a man would not speak, nothing happened. Now, you know... He talked to, uh, who was it, Ezekiel. He said, prophesy. Prophesy, Ezekiel. He said, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, you know, Lord. <laughs> see, Ezekiel wasn't, he couldn't, he couldn't reach out for that. It's, he couldn't see it. But he just did what God told him. So he prophesied, and the bones began to come together. So, See it in your mind and then begin to speak it and then watch the bones come together. 
the life come to it. Okay. 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 This, I, I wrote, you know, some of my notes, I'll show you. See this little red thing where it says good? <laughs> you know, I got a few good. So there's all this stuff, and it's really all good, but this is one that I thought was really good. So everybody listen to this one. This is from Dr. Hicks, okay. Faith accepts the promise and sees the fruit. Waits on God until it knows and never struggles. It rests. Faith is able to take a rest in a promise. And I I like that part. I like that part. So, Okay, so this is not about, oh, we're going to pray in the Holy Ghost for an hour, and God's going to give me something, I'm going to speak it out, and, and then I'm going to go get in the car and go get a burger. And, you know, no, this is, this is your life. This is like waiting on God. This is like, um, okay, I accept the promise. I can see the fruit. I see it, okay? I'm going to wait on God until I know what to do next. Wait on God. And then I'm just going to rest in this. I mean, if it looks like it's dead, it's not going, that's good. Leave it with God, you know? Don't let the enemy poke you and push you and speak words into your life. You'll never do anything. You'll never be able to do this. You'll never be able to accomplish this. This is dead. You can't do this. It's impossible. Rule all that out. Don't speak... I just spoke it, but don't speak it. <laughs> don't speak it over your life. Don't say things like, I'm the black sheep of my family. Don't say that. You're not the black sheep of your family. We're chosen by God. We're chosen by God. Okay. All right. I'm saving the best for last here. Okay. Best for last. Has anybody ever heard of this thing called depression? Okay, depression. Low spirits, gloominess, dejection, sadness, a decrease in force. Uh, An emotional condition, sometimes pathological, characterized by discouragement, and feeling of inadequacy. We've all gone through things similar to this, right? All of us. I don't think anybody's exempt. Uh, so here's some of the here's some of the symptoms. You feel like you don't measure up. You can feel hurt. You can have feelings of self pity. You can have feelings of gloom and despair, self condemnation, and incidentally. Nothing I'm teaching here is meant to promote condemnation. Everything here is about building you up. You see that? Resisting the enemy and building you up. And then number six here was comparing yourself to others, and some can even be suicidal. Now, real sobering subject here, depression. 
last year, I heard of a young man that I used to work with. He was in his mid-20s, committed suicide. Nobody could imagine this guy committing suicide. As far as anybody knew, he was the top of his profession. He was doing really well, you know. Um, if we hear, I'm, I'm just, while I'm on this subject, I really want to make this really clear. If you know of someone and you suspect that something's not going on right with them, you know, and you don't know if somebody's suicidal or not, but if, especially if somebody tells you they are or if somebody tells you that they heard that they said this, um, you know, this is a really serious situation because we need to take them seriously and not just pass it off as well they probably won't. You know, they probably won't because we really don't know. We don't know the darkness and the depression and the difficulties that people are having. And so we need to be the people of God that recognize that sometimes we go through things like this, but the world is really out there and they need prayer and they need our compassion. Okay. So, now, let me give you some guidelines that Dr. Hicks gives. <clears throat> guidelines for resisting depression. <clears throat> Don't blame others for your feelings. Check priorities and place the important ones first. Try to spot the cause of your insecurities, like, for example, does it stem from childhood or something? Evaluate your losses. Do not make mountains out of molehills. If it's small, it's small. Don't obsessed with things like that. When you feel a low time coming on, stay active. Speak vocal expression of praise. Share with only certain people. You need strength, not sympathy. Pray in the Holy Ghost. That is such a powerful. That is such a powerful. And number nine was, when thoughts start and turn towards you, do something for someone else. Okay? So, a confession you could make. Let's say, let's just say that you wake up one morning and you, the first thought that enters your mind is, this is going to be one of those days. Whatever those days are like, this is going to be one of those days. In other words, you start off in the morning you're not so happy about today. Why? Well, maybe you woke up with sinus trouble. Maybe you have a headache. Maybe you have shortage of money or sleep, or you had a recent phone call. Something makes you think, this day is not going to go right. Okay? So I just wrote up this little sample prayer, okay, or confession. And you guys all do this, I'm sure, but let me kind of read through this. Okay, resist this depression or this thinking that you're going to have a bad day with a spirit of thankfulness. Count your blessings. Think of something to thank God for. Speak against the devil. Tell him how you refuse to have a bad day. Tell the devil, I refuse to have a bad day. Just say, Psalm 118.24 says, This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. The pity party will need to be rescheduled for a later date 
yet to be determined, maybe never, with God's help, I will never have another dry day for the rest of my life. A thousand may fall at my side. Ten thousand at my right hand. In other words, there may be a whole lot of stuff going on around you. Okay? But, but trouble, disease, failure, weakness shall not come near me. Let it be in Jesus' name. Now, get you a little party horn, a little plastic horn. Maybe one of those that goes like that or something loud, okay? And if you're really crazy, really crazy, blow it really loud, okay? Blow it so loud that it hurts your ears, okay? Declare the walls of depression that surround you will come down in Jesus' name. I'm using Isaiah 61.3, and I'm trading a spirit of heaviness in for a garment of praise. Get up, if you can and dance around the room. In other words, you put your whole body in this thing against this, I'm going to have a lousy day thing. You know, you just, you just blow it away. You just blow it away. And if you have a challenging day, so be it. You told the devil where you stood, and you're, you're not backing off of it, okay? So that's a little something on, on depression. Okay, now the counter to that depression is something called joy. And Dr. Hicks had a few things to say about that. Let me see if I can find those. Okay. Okay. All right. Joy is the best resistance against disease in the body dissension and divorce in the home, discord and disharmony in the church. Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Psalm 47.1, oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. That reminds me of a song. Have you ever heard that song that goes with that? Okay, Proverbs 17, 22, a merry heart does good like medicine. Uh, Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Okay, Psalms 118, 15, the voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. Uh, Psalm 16, 11, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Isaiah 64, 5, you, will, you meet him who rejoices and does righteousness. In other words, just that's a great confession, by the way. Isaiah 64, 5. God will meet me at my place of rejoicing. When I'm, when I'm ready and able and got enough courage to do that. <laughs> when I get out of my little comfort zone and I'll rejoice in the Lord, God's, that's where God will meet me, right there. Okay? Okay, isn't that good? Okay, guidelines for joy. And uh, I'm going to do this in one minute or less. Here we go. Okay. Laugh a lot. 
Laugh a lot about the victory in your life. Number one, laugh at the devil. Psalm 2.4 says, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. We need to laugh. Okay? Number two, laugh at defeat. Declare victory over defeat. Laugh at defeat. Number three, go to church with joyful expectancy. Number four, worship and praise joyfully. Number five, give to the Lord joyfully. Just, you know, joyful, cheerful giving, okay? Number six, sing the Lord a new song of joy. You ever do that? I mean, that, this is crazy stuff. The world doesn't understand this stuff. Okay, so... With that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close off here. But I uh, just want to say that uh, all of this is, all of this is, is on the, the one scripture that says in James, it says, submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. What we've just been going through is different ways to think about things and different ways to resist the devil. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord.